You are listening to Episode 4 of Stoicism on Fire. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Fisher welcoming you to the Stoicism on Fire podcast, where the ancient practice of Stoic philosophy as a way of life and rational form of spirituality is still alive. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. I've always loved those lines from Robert Frost's timeless poem, The Road Not Taken. However, as a practicing Stoic, they take on new meaning because of the importance of choice. Robert Frost's traveler stands at the fork in the road and he must choose path A or path B. During his contemplation, he acknowledges that he cannot travel both paths. Then in these closing lines, Frost highlights the obvious, the chosen path, whatever it may be, will make a profound difference in one's life. So why choose the Stoic path? Why did you choose the Stoic path if you've already made that choice? Why not Epicureanism, skepticism, Platonism, cynicism? Why a philosophical path at all? In this podcast, I'm going to argue that if you did already make a choice for the Stoic path or any other path, you may not have made that choice for the reasons that you think you did. If you haven't chosen a path yet, I'm going to give you some things to think about before you make that choice. As much as I personally love Stoicism and believe that everyone can benefit from some familiarity with its ethical principles, I do not believe that the Stoic path is for everyone. The Stoics argue that there are three natures. Universal nature, which we share with the entire cosmos. Human nature, which we each share with all other human beings. And then finally, our individual nature, our individual makeup that makes us who we are. We might call that our psychological makeup or our personality. I believe that there are good reasons why there's a variety of philosophical paths out there. And I believe that the variety of philosophical paths corresponds to the variety within human nature. Equally important are the circumstances that we face in life that bring about choices for us. This was really brought home to me not long ago when I was reading the story provided by Diogenes Laertius of Zeno, the founder of Stoicism. Zeno was a Phoenician, he was not a Greek, and he was a merchant. And while on one of his journeys, his merchant journeys, apparently carrying a load of purple, he was shipwrecked in Athens. Zeno was a man of 30 at that time, and we have no record of him being a philosopher prior to that. But what's interesting is the choice that Zeno made. While shipwrecked in a foreign city, he made the choice to go into a bookseller of all places. While there in the bookseller, he picked up a copy of Memorabilia, written by Xenophon, which is the story of the life of Socrates. And as Diogenes Laertius tells the story, while reading the second book of Xenophon's Memorabilia, Zeno apparently became inspired by what he saw there. And he asked the bookseller, where can I find men such as these? At that time, the cynic, Crates, happened to be walking by the bookseller. And the bookseller said to Zeno, follow that man. And Zeno did. Zeno followed Crates, the cynic. And that choice profoundly changed his life. Not only did he make the choice for the philosophical path, but he chose the cynic path. And that choice would make a profound difference, not just in his life, but in history. Because cynicism would provide the foundation for the philosophy that Zeno would create, which is Stoicism. Therefore, if we use Robert Frost's language, we can certainly say that for Zeno, two roads diverged in a wood. And he certainly took the path 
less traveled by, which was the cynic path. And that choice made all the difference for Zeno and for us moderns who have an appreciation for the philosophy of Stoicism that he would eventually create. Now, Zeno would go on to study at Plato's Academy and at the Megarian School, both of which had profound influences on him and his creation of Stoicism. But what's important for us today is that Zeno saw an image of something when he was in that bookseller's store reading the story of Socrates. And the question is, what did he see? What vision of Socrates did he see that inspired him to ask that bookseller, where can I find men such as these? Secondly, what was it that inspired the bookseller to point to Crates as he walked by, rather than some other philosopher? You know, we're in a marketplace, there were probably others that would have walked by, he could have said, hold on for a few minutes, but Crates the cynic walks by, and he immediately points him out and says, follow that man. So what was it that Zeno saw in the early pages of Xenophon's memorabilia that inspired him to want to follow men like these, men like Socrates? First, early on in memorabilia, we see Socrates' religious reverence and piety. But then there's another part in these early pages, actually in book two of memorabilia, the story of Heracles, more commonly known as Hercules, is told. And that would have been where Zeno was reading at the time that he said, where can I find men like these? Well, what is the story of Heracles? I'm quoting from Book 2 of Memorabilia. Quote, when Heracles was starting to enter adolescence from childhood, when youths, since they are already becoming their own rulers, make clear whether in life they will take the rough road through virtue or through vice. Going out to a quiet place, he sat down perplexed as to which of the roads he should take. End quote. So here we have Zeno, who's preparing to make a life-changing choice in an Athenian bookseller's store, reading about the story of Heracles, who's making a life-changing choice between the path to virtue and the path to vice. As history indicates, both Heracles and Zeno chose the path to virtue. Now this brings us to another point that I want to make before proceeding, and that is the word virtue. For a lot of people in modern times, that word evokes this idea of priggish morality, nose in the air, holier-than-thou kind of attitude. And for the Stoics, that's not what the word virtue means. The Greek word that we translate into virtue is erite, and what that really means is excellence. So when the Stoics are talking about virtue, we're talking about human excellence. The virtues, the four cardinal virtues, are courage, justice, moderation, and wisdom. So a virtuous person in Stoicism would be a person who exemplifies all of those virtues. Now back to the topic at hand. Why choose the Stoic path? Why did Zeno choose the path that he did? Why did Heracles choose the path that he chose? In Zeno's case, we know that he was looking at the character of Socrates as presented in the memorabilia and liked what he saw there and wanted to follow that exemplar. And in the case of Heracles, he also saw two visions. In his case, it was a vision of two different ladies, one named Virtue, one named Vice, and each of them presented a different path to Heracles. The point of all of this is that in our lives, many of us come to a place where we do face a fork in the road. We do face two paths that diverge. And typically for most moderns, that is a choice between the path that leads down more of the same, more chasing externals, chasing money, chasing reputation, and so forth, or a path that many would call philosophical, some would call religious, but it's a choice of a different way of life. And my argument is that when we make that choice for a way of life, we're making that choice based upon something that we see in that way of life that appeals to us. 
the French philosopher Pierre Haydot made what I think is a brilliant observation. He made it specifically about Hellenistic schools, the ancient schools of philosophy, but it applies equally today to those who are considering pursuing philosophy. He wrote, quote, The philosophical school thus corresponds, above all, to the choice of a certain way of life and existential option, which demands from the individual a total change of lifestyle, a conversion of one's entire being, and ultimately a certain desire to be and to live in a certain way, end quote. So what does that mean? What Hido is arguing is that when we make a choice to follow a particular philosophy, and I would argue that this extends to religion also for those who thoughtfully consider and choose a path to follow, that they make that choice not based upon the doctrines. They make that choice based upon a way of life that they see that they have an affinity for. In other words, it would be a rare bird that would sit down and examine all of the schools, examine their doctrines, and decide, you know, I like the doctrines of Epicureanism better, or skepticism better, or cynicism, or stoicism, or whatever, pick your philosophy. I like those doctrines, therefore I'm going to choose that way of life. Instead, there's something about the way of life that attracts us to that particular school. Once we are a member of that school or we've chosen that path, then we learn the doctrines that support that way of life. Now, that certainly does not mean that people don't consider doctrines at all when they're making the choice. It simply means that doctrines may not be the primary motive in making that choice. It also does not mean that having made a choice, one is locked into that choice for the rest of their life. Zeno provides a great example of that. He initially chose cynicism, went on to study under the Platonists and the Megarians, and ultimately said, I don't like any of you. I'm going to found my own school which was Stoicism. So his path started out as a broad eclecticism, and then he founds a school which ironically becomes very doctrinaire, very dogmatic. Therefore, if we take a step back to Hellenistic times and look at the schools that were available to the person making the choice then, we can kind of get an idea why someone might have made a choice for a particular school. And I think that interestingly, each of those schools has a modern corollary, at least to some degree, maybe not precisely. So let's step through them one at a time. And again, I'm going to limit myself to these Hellenistic paths because obviously in a podcast, I don't have time to cover every possible philosophical path or way of life that a person could choose in the 21st century. The first school an ancient might have considered would have been called skepticism in ancient times. This was Plato's Academy. I'm not referring to Peronian skepticism here, but Plato's Academy. And that consisted of an intellectual way of life focused on philosophical dialogue as opposed to orthodoxy and dogmatism. The skeptics, the late Platonic Academy, started to have great doubts about the ability to attain knowledge. For them, peace of mind is achieved by freeing oneself from the disturbances caused by holding false opinions. Now, we see that also in Stoicism, just not to the degree of the skeptics. The Stoics were willing to be more dogmatic in some areas. So in modern times, a skeptic, we might look at them as, a, as an academic, an academic that is maybe a little bit more aloof in the sense that they're not committed to any particular way of life. Their interest is really intellectual. Many of the scholars who provide the material that allow us to understand Stoicism in modern times would fit into this category. They are intellectuals who have dedicated their lives to understanding philosophy, and those who drill deeper into Stoicism have a deep understanding of what Stoicism was. But they remain intellectually aloof. They're not interested in practicing Stoicism. They're interested in understanding what Stoicism is and providing us with that information. Next up would be cynicism, and again, this is the school that Zeno first began his philosophical way of life. 
Cynicism was a very ascetic way of life. They were basically homeless in, in their time, and they denounced all social conventions and recommended a return to a life in conformity with nature, but really in conformity with nature, meaning no social conventions whatsoever. They thought that peace of mind was achieved by abandoning all social mores and conventions and living as simply as possible. They lived primarily on the street. Some of their characteristics, I would say, translate into modern anarchists, although most of our modern anarchists aren't living the kind of ascetic life or a life of virtue that the cynics did. Next, we have the Epicureans. The Epicureans sought a pleasant life of tranquility in a garden amidst a group of friends, and they their life was free of civic responsibilities and interference by the gods. Some people assume that the Epicureans were atheists. They were not. They differed from the Stoics in the sense that they believed in the existence of the gods. They just did not believe that the gods were involved in human life at all, as the Stoics did. The Epicureans opposed the gods because of the perceived intervention of the gods at that time in Greek society. And they said, yeah, we want nothing to do with that. That creates a lack of tranquility. So leave the gods over there in heaven, party and having a good time. We're going to have our own society of friends in the Epicurean Garden. For them, peace of mind is achieved by abandoning false pleasures and seeking appropriate pleasures. Again, in modern times, we've kind of distorted unfairly the conception of Epicureans to mean hedonism. And it did not mean that in ancient times. The, they were certainly not hedonists. They sought pleasure, but not the kind of hedonistic pleasure that we associate with the word Epicurean today. Finally, we have Stoicism. Stoicism was a life aimed at human excellence, which entails moral duty and social responsibility within a cosmopolis that includes all of humanity. So we already see a distinction between Epicureanism in the sense that Epicureans thought that they needed to remove themselves from society in order to achieve peace of mind, whereas the Stoics said, no, we have a moral duty. We have social responsibilities because we're social human beings. So the goal of our philosophy is to prepare and develop the person so that they can still find peace of mind while living in that cosmopolis, within society, fulfilling their moral obligations and their social responsibilities. Stoicism was a self-coherent, rational life lived in constant recognition of the relationship between our own human nature and the divine nature of the cosmos. Peace of mind, or happiness, which they called eudaimonia, are achieved by abandoning our desires and our aversions for things that are external to us, that are, to use Stoic language, not up to us, and to seek only virtue, only the excellence of character, which is wholly up to us. So why is all of this important? Why do we care about all of these paths? I think there are two very important reasons why this is worthy of our consideration. First, it's important that we acknowledge that all of these paths, these ancient paths and many modern paths, are equally viable for moderns. And by equally viable, I mean they can bring about a a sense of well-being for an individual. And it's important to recognize that the people who choose the paths that they do may not be choosing them for the reasons that they think. In other words, they may not have chosen that path because of its doctrines. They may have come to agree with and like those doctrines after they chose the path. Why is that important? Well, I think that it helps to remove a lot of the the animosity between different paths, kind of a sense of arrogance that, well, my path is better than your path. That may be true, and you may believe that, but there is certainly no way that anybody can demonstrate that unless you've lived all of the paths yourself, which is probably a chronological impossibility. 
There's no way that you can prove that any one path is better than others. Now, we could argue from afar that one path may provide different outcomes than another path, and we may prefer those outcomes, but that's a different topic. My point is that in modern times, there are a variety of philosophical paths available to people, and all of those paths might be perfectly viable. In modern times, as an example, when it comes to Stoicism, we have another choice, another divergence in the road, another fork in the road. Do I go with modern Stoicism, which denies the divine cosmos, or or at least ignores it, overlooks it, doesn't think that it's an important part of Stoicism, or the traditional Stoic path? where the the divinity of the cosmos was a central and important part of that philosophical system. That's a choice that a modern makes. And I will argue that both of those are viable paths for moderns and would argue that they choose those paths but based upon the way of life. In other words, the atheist is going to choose and the agnostics are going to choose the modern Stoic path. And those who might be more spiritually inclined are likely going to choose the more traditional Stoic path. That doesn't make either one of them right or wrong. Both are viable options. But it's important to understand why people may have made those choices. A.A. Long, one of my favorite Stoic scholars, offers the following assessment about why someone might choose Stoicism over another philosophical way of life. He writes, quote, To put it another way, the choice of Stoicism over another philosophy depended not on its promise to deliver an admirable and thoroughly satisfying life, that project would not have distinguished it from rival schools, but on its detailed specification of that life and on the appeal of its claims about the nature of the world and human beings, end quote. So what path will you choose? Will you even choose a path? Personally, I think it is important to choose a path. I believe that committing oneself to a path is important. However, and this is a big caveat, when you commit yourself to a path, I think it's also important to keep an open mind. And by that, I mean it's important to understand and explore other paths so that you can realize and accept that they are viable paths also. Seneca, who remained a committed Stoic his entire life and never deviated from the core doctrines of Stoicism, still read, appreciated, and quoted Epicurus. He found a great deal in Epicureanism that he could admire even while remaining a Stoic. He didn't admire the things that contradicted with Stoicism, but he still admired many of Epicurus's ideas. Now, it's quite possible that in his exploration of Epicureanism, Seneca might have found something more attractive and decided, heck, I'm going to abandon Stoicism and go become an Epicurean. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. You can switch paths if you choose at any time. There's nothing that locks an individual into a particular path. But if you're going to self-identify as a Stoic, then be a Stoic. If you're going to self-identify as an Epicurean, then be an Epicurean. Learn all that you can about that path, practice it, and at the same time, keep an open mind to the others because they may provide equally viable paths for other people. Now, I'm not arguing for some form of subjectivism that suggests that all paths are equal and that we can't make any type of rational judgment between them. What I'm arguing for is a little bit of humility. I'm arguing for the idea that we're probably not going to figure out, at least in the near term, which path is best for people. And it may be equally true that there is no one best path for everyone, based upon the fact that there is quite a bit of diversity within human nature. So let's bring this home for a moment to Stoicism. In modern times, we have two paths that are being offered, two distinct paths that are being offered to moderns regarding Stoicism. We have modern Stoicism, which is extremely popular, and we have traditional Stoicism. 
there is no reason why those two paths cannot coexist as equally viable alternatives for moderns. The modern Stoic path, for those more secular-minded individuals who are not interested in the worldview and theology of the ancient Stoics, and the traditional Stoic path for those who are, for those individuals who are looking for a more rational form of spirituality, not a religion, but a spiritual practice, for those people who consider all of the facts available to us about the nature of reality and still come to the conclusion that there must be some form of innate intelligence within the cosmos. There must be some rationality that existed prior to human rationality. They might agree with the French philosopher Pierre Hedot, who argues that all the dogmas of Stoicism derive from an existential choice. And that choice is that it is impossible that the universe could produce human rationality unless the latter were already in some way present within the former. And by making the existential choice to assent to that idea, can consider the cosmos purposeful and human life inherently meaningful. For many moderns, that brings their practice of Stoicism to an entirely different level. And there is no rational reason why that path should be terminated, why that path should end in modern times. So where does that leave those in the 21st century who are looking for a philosophical way of life and who are considering Stoicism? It leaves them in the same place that Robert Frost's famous traveler stood, where two roads diverge. One road is modern Stoicism. The other road is traditional Stoicism. Both may be equally viable. However, the traveler must pick one. What do I recommend? Do what Robert Frost's traveler did. Look down both paths as far as you can see. Then pick the one that you find appealing and travel on it. However, please leave the other path open for others who follow behind you. Don't switch the road signs or put up a danger sign on the other path simply because you don't think it's a reasonable path for moderns. After all, any path to virtue will be considered unreasonable by the vast majority of moderns. Two roads diverge into the modern Stoic wood, and whichever one you choose, that road will make all the difference. Thank you for listening to the Stoicism on Fire podcast. If you're interested in this ancient practice of Stoicism, you'll find plenty of resources at www.traditionalstoicism.com. If you're interested in a social media environment where this form of Stoicism is being discussed, please join us on Facebook in the Traditional Stoicism group. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a positive review on iTunes. That helps other people find this podcast and get introduced to the ancient spiritual practice of the Stoics. If you have feedback for me or a great podcast idea, please send me an email at chris, that's C-H-R-I-S, at traditionalstoicism.com. Until next time, I hope you'll continue exploring traditional Stoicism where the cosmos is alive with the meaning and purpose of the divine fire of the ancient Stoics. I wish you well and encourage you to keep your practice of Stoicism on fire.